R&R trains, coaches, and mentors women, empowering them to overcome personal and professional challenges and enabling them to revitalize and rise. You are now listening to R&R Sheroes, conversations with inspirational and sheroic female role models who are creating a difference. To hear these motivational conversations, subscribe to RevitalizeAndRise.com. Hello and a very, very warm welcome to another episode of Revitalize and Rise Sheroes. And I am super excited to have with me this really inspirational lady. Her name is Madeline Black. Madeline Black has experienced more in her life than most ever will or would ever want to. Most people have gone down a similar road, have ended up either dead in mental wards, homeless, addicted to drugs, or in jail. You have walked away from such carnage with quiet dignity and led a life that is by many standards enviable. Madeline was gang raped when she was 13 years old. She was consequently raped three more times before the age of 18. One might wonder how such things could happen and potentially make judgments about such people and what they must have done to bring on such events. In a matter of few short chapters, the readers in her book will see how a slippery slope can be created from the horrible actions of just one night. The events of the first rape were so traumatic that it took Madeline many years and a lot of hard work to uncover the memories of that attack. She, like so many others who have been raped or violently attacked, suffered from PSTD and numerous phobias and at times debilitating psychological challenges. As those memories bubbled up, she questioned their veracity, questioned her own mind. All the while, she was doing her best to exact what she called the best revenge plan who attacked her, leading a good, productive, happy life. Now, while I'm reading out her story, I am getting goosebumps because honestly, this story is amazing. It's a story of courage and resilience and determination. So without further ado, let's just welcome Madeline and ask herself how exactly did she recover from this and what would she want to share with us today? Hello, Madeline. How are you today? Hi, Hira. I'm good, thank you. And thank you very much for having me on your show. You are most welcome. Well, in our shadows, we call and invite shadowy female role models who are creating a difference every day. But you, you're special because you... Really, really exemplify and personify the title of R&R Sheroes. You are such a hero. Oh, thank you. Well, you know, it was the courage of somebody else speaking out that helped me to find my voice. And I uh, intend just to pay that forward to give people, women, men a voice that can't find theirs yet. Perfect. And we want to know all about that. Uh, So first of all, congratulations. You got an award recently and your book is uh, number two on Amazon and it's been a year and and it's on number two, which is amazing. Thank you so much. Yes, I didn't know that my daughter had nominated me for an award. So I received a phone call to say I had won my category. So it came as a complete surprise. My category was strength and it was the Amazing Women Awards in number from number one Scotland, which is a magazine up in Scotland, number one magazine. Delighted to accept it at the event. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, you, you deserve all the awards, seriously. And uh, can you tell us something about your book? Sure. So my book was published last year on the 4th of April. And as you shared my story at the start, it is my story of being gang raped by two American teenagers. And it follows my journey of survival, healing, forgiveness, transformation and hope. So, Madeline, uh, I, I can't even imagine what you went through. Obviously, a traumatic experience is that for a teenager. And um, I'm not going to get into the details of the experience itself, but can you tell us something about the recovery phase, what finally enabled you to find your voice and how exactly was the entire process of recovery and uh, what challenges you faced and what would you like to advise thousands of girls who are 
going through, um, you know, probably a similar phase, but don't have the courage to get out of it. Sure. Well, what, what I would say, I didn't recover overnight. You know, I didn't get to where I'm at just overnight. It's been a process and it's been a long process. And I've tried many different therapies and many different body therapies and loads of different things. But for years, I was just in denial and I didn't want to believe it. But, you know, what we don't what we don't talk about, it leaks out of us. So I was then suffering all the consequences of not speaking out. So I developed eating disorders. I became suicidal. I would use anything to numb out, you know, drinks or drug or just so many different side effects, so many fears, so many phobias. But it was when I reversed my decision after I met my husband that I would have children. And that's when I came up with my plan called My Best Revenge, that I thought then I had really done it. I had really healed. But trauma has a way of coming back up again when we're ready to face it. And it would take till when my daughter was 13 years old. That was the catalyst for all the memories to return, all the nightmares, all the flashbacks, all the images. So many memories came back. And that's when I thought, Actually, my first thought was I need to get rid of this. (laughs) But then I realized I can't get rid of these memories. And it was my denying the memories, not wanting to believe what had happened that was actually making me madder when I really decided, you know, look, they didn't kill me. I am still alive. I have got a good life. Um, That was much easier to cope with. Right, right. And I'm sure it wasn't easy. I'm sure it took you years. And who was the person, if I may ask, who gave you that voice or who gave you the courage to actually come out, to talk about it? And Well, I guess that comes from me somewhere in deep inside. <laughs> but uh, That's amazing, yeah. Yeah, even when, you know, my husband used to ask me, you know, let's have a family and let's start a family. And I used to always say, no, you know, I can't do that because I thought that it was going to be like being raped again. And the day that he asked me when I changed my mind, Um, I completely reversed my thinking. I don't know where it came from, but something inside of me said, you know, if I never have children, then these two young men will still be having power and control over me and they'll be running my life and, and I'll always be scared and afraid. And I didn't want them to have that power anymore. And it was that decision that started my journey of healing. I thought I had healed a lot already, but that that really was a turning point for me. And that's fantastic because whenever I talk about, and I'm, I'm, I'm a licensed NLP practitioner, so I talk about a lot of NLP emotional therapies and, and, mm-hmm. and when I'm doing my leadership training and coaching, and that's what I tell people, that you are your best rescuer. Uh, you know, gone are the days when you're going to wait for somebody who's going to come and rescue you mm-hmm. because you, you know yourself the best. Um, and you're the one who can control your own thought. In the world of where there's already a lot happening, uh, you can be your best hero, to be honest. So I am so impressed and I'm so inspired that, that you did that. So were you comfortable to share about this with your daughter and how difficult was this? I have three daughters. It's amazing. Yeah. So I have always told them when it, when it was age appropriate, I would speak in the age appropriate language. So, you know, at a young age, they would maybe know that I was very, I was beaten up by two young men I didn't tell them all the details but as they've got older I didn't want to protect them because I'm not really helping them if I protect them they have to know what takes place on this planet every day to women and men everywhere globally and so they've always known they didn't maybe know all the details until my book came out or until they've heard me speak more but they've always known and I've always wanted them to be streetwise you know I saw yes especially when when Anna went to high school I she wanted to take the public bus And I said, okay, but I was terrified. So I popped an alarm, a rape alarm in her pocket and told her not to wear her earbuds and don't be walking down the street on her phone. And, and, you know, I 
jumped in yeah. my car and I drove behind the bus and I thought, well, what is the point of having kids if I'm going to put all this fear into them? So I True. had to learn to let it go and not Absolutely. transfer my fear onto them. Yeah, and that it's very difficult to let it go because it's it's not at all easy when you've gone through such a traumatic experience. Yeah. A person becomes extremely possessive about children because you obviously do not want anything happening to them. You don't want Absolutely. them to go to the same experience. So I'm sure it was one hell of a task getting you know trying to pull yourself out of their, their yeah, life. It's a, it's a real paradox because if we protect them so much. Overprotecting them, and then they won't be able to read a situation, or they won't be able to uh, be streetwise. So, in our overprotecting, we're actually, I think, for me personally, I saw I was causing more damage. So I had to really let them go clubbing. I had to let them go drinking. But you know, I had guidelines. I would tell them never, never leave a friend alone. Always come home in a taxi with two of you. You know, kind of sensible things to do. If you leave your drink at the bar, don't drink it again in case somebody spikes it. And right. You know, I've Absolutely. just told them how to be streetwise. And you know, that's the thing. A lot of people wouldn't know what to, I mean, yes, people do advise, obviously parents are all very cautious, but a lot of time parents um, don't really know what to say to their children, what, what, what advice should they give them? What should they say? And I think these tips are really, really important because a lot of children don't have them. And I think it's important to share all this with children so that they're more aware where they were and who they were with and what they were doing then not to know exactly so that's why i've tried to be open with them absolutely absolutely so are there any other things which you would like to share with teenagers i would say if they or not just teenagers for any woman or man if anyone has experienced any rape or any abuse it's never ever too late to get help no matter how long ago it was it's never too late to tell someone to find your voice the single most thing I would say that has helped me most has been to find my voice and to speak about it because it was a shame that just kept me quiet for so many years. I put myself in a cage of silence for years and I I was the prisoner, but I was so ashamed. I just thought if people knew that in some way it was a reflection of me and they would feel exactly how I felt, which I just felt I was disgusting. I was contaminated and worthless. And so being able to speak and stand in my truth is my voice is now my power. You know, I realized that it's really helped me to just shatter all of the shame. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I know you've already ex- spoken a lot about this. That way you emerged from such depths was that you use forgiveness as the key. Mm-hmm. So can you tell me more about that? Well, I never really intended to forgive them. It was kind of an accidental forgiver. Anna was turning 13 and I was studying psychotherapy and I was doing a lot of personal development. And as I mentioned before, all the memories started to return. And it was while I was having therapy, I went back for three years and near to the end, my therapist said to me, you know, maybe these two young men weren't born rapists. And at first I was completely outraged by what he was saying. I was just couldn't believe that how dare he say that to me you know I wanted somebody to kidnap the two of them take them to an empty flat beat them up tie them up rape and torture them for four or five hours just like they had done to me so they could see the impact the effects last way longer than one night but you know he planted a seed in my mind and that seed started to grow and I really then wanted to understand what had cause them to behave that way that night how do they know to be so violent to another human being and I started to see I do believe that we're all born equal we all come in a blank sheet and they were conditioned whatever they had seen or heard or experienced conditioned them to behave that way that night and when I really took that into my heart I 
felt compassion towards them because it's almost as if their conditioning left them of no choice in some way. And I didn't really expect to forgive them, but I forgave them because I thought my life has, is really good. I was determined never to be identified by what had happened. They will have to live with what they've done to me. And I just thought, you know, they're dehumanizing of me. They're really dehumanizing themselves. And the way that they couldn't connect to what they were doing to me, they're not connected to their own being, their own light, their own goodness. And I think that's, that's a hard journey. And forgiveness really has nothing to do about the other person. It was a choice that I made internally in my heart, in my mind. And at first it was about self-forgiveness because for years I thought it was my fault because I had been drinking and I lied about where I was staying. And then forgiveness for me was about self-love. It was about realizing that I had nothing to be ashamed about, nothing to be guilty about. And then forgiveness came for them as well because holding on to all that anger, hate and revenge they had no clue that I was doing that. And the only person it was hurting was me and my husband and my kids and my friends. And I didn't want to be angry anymore. I got so tired of being hostile and sarcastic and aggressive. So I saw I had a choice. I could let it go. And I did. Right. Absolutely. That's that's wonderful to know. I'm sure it it was difficult, but I'm sure this is what you needed. And this was very important for you. And I think the very first stage of getting past a trauma is to forgive yourself. You are not able to forgive yourself. And the first thing you really need to know, and I've talked about this in my blogs when I'm talking about even sexual harassment or workplace bullying is that you have to identify the feelings and then tell yourself that it's not your fault because obviously it's not. I mean, there's nothing you have done or said or uh, that has brought this upon you. It's not your fault from any, any angle. So stop that blame and then forgive yourself. And then I think it becomes easier to say in your case, because I mean, I can't even relate to what, what you went through, but, but I'm sure it, a great thing which you did for yourself and for your family. And I think when you put your family first, when you start thinking in terms of your, you know, your husband or your children, uh, then maybe does it get better? Well, I guess it was my incentive. Maybe if I didn't have them, would I ever have the capacity just to do it for me alone? I don't know. But uh, they were a huge incentive. I didn't, you know, I struggled for so long to have children. I thought, what would be the point of bringing them into this world if I'm so full of anger and I transmit that over to them, project it onto them? So for them as well, I did it, which is good. I had an incentive, but you have to find your own way yourself. Your own way. And I'm not saying that forgiveness is the one hat that fits everyone. You don't need to forgive in order to heal. You know, this is the way that I chose to do it. And I would never suggest to anyone that you're never going to heal unless you forgive whoever abused you or raped you, because that's not true. Everybody will find their own way. But for me, this was my way. Yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, ever since the Me Too campaign started last year, and mm-hmm. we've come across so many women who have been silently enduring, you know, sexual harassment, be implicit or explicit, but they have been enduring it. They've been quiet about it. Do you think the, the Me Too campaign is actually a great campaign in terms of giving voice to women who were previously scared? Absolutely. I mean, in the first hour of it going live on, well, this, you know, when it went up on Twitter, millions of people retweeted Me Too. Some women and men for the very, very first time, you know, they'd never shared their story after many, many years. I know that it took me 35 years to share my story publicly. So it's, it's it just shifts so much if you can speak about it you know when we hold it all inside there's so much pressure it's like trying to hold a beach ball constantly underwater you know the fear of somebody finding out so 
I know that it was the courage of somebody else that spoke out that helped me find my voice. And this will help other women as well to find their voice. It's like a collective strength. You know, we are stronger together, really. True. And, you know, it was some people obviously have gone through horrific incidents and you Mm -hmm. can't even compare to that. But I was talking to my husband. I said, honestly, you know, I don't think so. There's hardly a woman in this country or, or in this world who has never been harassed. Not it's indirect, whether it's direct. I think every woman has gone through that stage, whether at work, whether at college, whether at, you know, surroundings, just walking in the marketplace. It's not really about comparison. You know, it's not about who is worse and who's not. Um, because it's really what we do with it that matters. And there's a whole catalogue of sexual harassment, from catcalling to groping to rape yes. to abuse. And none of it is appropriate. So I'm hoping in time with Me Too that we've raised the consciousness of people and the good non-abusive men will now start to step in. If they see a woman being harassed at work or somebody making inappropriate comments, they will step in and they will change that. It's yes. not just about, Sorry, it's not just about women. It's about everyone. It's exactly. all of us to change it. Yeah. Absolutely. I agree. And I think, so somebody had shared, someone from my network who I really respect, she's also one of the, my guests in the podcast, and she had asked if, if they should have um, some strict laws. Not, well, in the, in, I'm not sure how it is in the country, because back in my country, I know that there was this um, rapist, I don't know if you've heard the story in Pakistan, it was a six-year-old girl who was raped, and yeah. um, it was it's a horrible story, and, that, and people were, of course, very, very angry, and then he was put to trial. So I think in in countries like I'm not sure what the laws are in US or in the UK they're a bit liberal and flexible about um, the punishments do you think they should force uh, more stricter measures at work or outside because I personally feel that I mean I don't know I mean just a few months in the jail what what good would that do to them whether they get jail or not you know there's so many uh the percentage of reported rapes that end in conviction is very low in our country and there's so much victim blaming and rape culture that takes place you know we recently saw a case in belfast in ireland where a young woman claimed to be raped by two rugby players who were found not guilty but it was their messages that were released you know how they spoke about this woman she was left leaving the scene uh, reportedly bleeding from her vagina crying mm-hmm. hysterical mm-hmm. even if rape didn't take place is that how we want young men to treat women and how the messages the whatsapp messages were printed and how they spoke about her was so degrading so yeah. we need so many different systems put in place women can wait in this country two or three years for their trial before it comes to court we could fast track the trials they could be four months you know three four months i think we need a specialist jury a specialist judge someone that's trained you know because women are told to cry on the stand don't wear this look like this why should we behave like a perfect victim what is a perfect victim you know there's so many ways that you can respond there's not a right or a wrong way and already that suggests you're being judged if they're asking you to look this way look that way yes we need jury members and judges to understand the many many different ways that it can affect a woman Yes, and I think that's important. And honestly, coming back from countries like Pakistan, because I was in, I'm originally from Pakistan, then I moved to mm-hmm. Dubai. So when in places like Dubai and Pakistan, these things happen, you're like, okay, maybe it's the culture. Uh, but then when you see these things happening in a progressive country like UK, you're like, yeah. really? Seriously? Yeah. Is this happening here still? Yeah. Um, and it's actually quite sad to see that they don't have more strict policies enforced uh, to, to punish these people. 
It but is. There's a lot, a lot of changes needed. And I hope maybe from the Me Too campaign, um, because after the Belfast um, decision that was made, when the you know they got their sentencing as not guilty, there was huge marches in Dublin and in Cork for two days, women and men, you know, outpouring on the streets, yes. claiming their yes. disgust. And it was that was really quite moving to see. So I'm hoping it will bring about changes that we can sit down and look at the justice system because it's not very just at the moment it's quite an unjust system yes absolutely and i'm not even sure if they have um do, do they have like proper recovery programs for people going through um physical or sexual abuse here well, I, I'm based in Scotland and I know I used to work at Rape Crisis as a volunteer in Glasgow and there we could offer a woman 10 sessions because that's all we were funded to do. And oh, I don't okay. think 10 sessions is enough. I work yes, now in a counselling centre. I'm a psychotherapist and we can now offer 20 sessions. We had to change it. It used to be open-ended, but we have a huge waiting list. It's six months. So unless you can oh. afford to go privately or you, you sign up to one of these other centres, it's not long-term support, which is, you know, for some women, it's, it took me many, many years. And I went yes. to therapy, you know, quite a few times and different types of therapy. But I was fortunate that I was able to pay for some of that as well. Yeah. So you so are disadvantaged really, if you can't afford to pay. So this is really shocking. I mean, firstly, you go through this, which as it is a traumatic experience. And then yeah. secondly, you don't have the systems available Absolutely. to actually provide help you which is really really sad um and honestly hearing from you because of, i've been doing research because i, I love working with ngos and I, I really strongly believe in women empowerment and i'm mm-hmm. trying to provide free trainings to women ngos um and i, I know most of them said that they would prefer trainings which are one-to-one or coaching which is a one-to-one thing um and i just feel that if every coach or if every mentor out here in this world volunteers that time even to to take on board one victim and continues doing these therapy sessions with them for free, I think we would be in a much better world because the problem is that, like you said, most people can't afford these one-to-one coaching sessions. Um, And I think really what we need to do is preventative work. So we need to start educating young men from a very early age about respect, about healthy relationships, about consent, not just in sexual relationships, but all consent, you know, to ask a girl, or to be asked, is it okay to hold your hand? Is it okay to do, you know, to really check things out rather than make assumptions. And we need to really start at nursery level, I think, to really talk about Absolutely. what is a healthy relationship, what is consent all about. Absolutely. Absolutely. I totally, totally agree with that because this is so important. I mean, I talked to my, my son is seven year old and mm-hmm. um, on and off because I am also supporting the Women's Equality Party. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was going to, I was telling him about so time and again, I do drill it in his mind how important it is. Um, and of course he comes up with these questions, which of course I think he's been Questions hearing. are great. Questions are really good. <laughs> yeah. And he comes and he comes up and says, Oh mama, do you think uh, who are stronger? Mama, boys are stronger, girls are stronger. I think for where did you even get that in your mind? Because I remember when he was three or four, he knew that boys and girls are equally strong, but now he has his friends and, you know, I'm sure they're tall. So I try and explain all this to him. And, but I think it's really, really important because unfortunately we are victims and we, I think we are products of gendered upbringing as well. My girls are asked to keep quiet and stay polite and not just say, you know, raise their voice and raise their concern. And that I think is, is something which needs to be addressed right from childhood where you need to tell the difference to the boys and the girls, you know, tell the girls particularly that it's okay to raise your wives it's okay to say no 
um, you know, I've, I was writing a book on the top career challenges faced by women. Mm-hmm. And um, so most of the channels, uh, most of the challenges are internal and obstacles are internal. Uh, but then, of course, there are things, external factors, which you can't ignore, for example, you know, uh, bias and gendered working cultures and, and cases of sexual harassment. Uh, so what do women do about that? But that's, again, to do with internally how, how to actually give them the courage to raise their voice and say no. Um, and not to endure it, because now I'm so proud to see women actually taking screenshots uh, of people who've harassed them and, and actually sharing, sharing it on social media, letting the whole world know. And then usually those men kind of back off it when they see so much pressure. Yeah. Because, you know, they can't have, do it more. I have had some trolls and some bad comments from people, not so much on LinkedIn, but on Twitter or Facebook. And now I used to try and engage, but there's no point because some people are really there just to argue with you and you will never win. But what is amazing is I have such a huge army of other survivors that all speak out I just sit back and they just do the support (laughs) they get involved in arguing so it's amazing this you know the more of us that speak out it's going to be better and it is like an army growing of really strong women encouraging other women to find their voice too and letting them know just by the way that we are that you can get past this one day it is possible to heal and leave a good life I think that is the, that's the most fantastic thing of being part of, of the 21st century right now as of today. I feel that women are so increasingly supportive of each other. I think back when I started my career 13 years back, um, unfortunately, there was a culture of queen bees. There was well, some, most women are. I have met some women that aren't so great. And there are some women that still engage in victim blaming. You know, well, what is she expect? Yeah. What was she wearing? And you think, yeah. Yeah. how can you still in this day and age have exactly. that attitude? So this that just shows me then it just motivates me to carry on with what I'm doing, that there's more work needed to be done. Absolutely. Never, ever, ever the victim's fault. A hundred percent of all never, rapes never. are caused by rapists. It's not what you're wearing, what you didn't wear, what you drank, what you smoke. It's nothing to do with that. Yeah. It's a choice that he made to rape you. Or Absolutely. Absolutely. Or, that, that's so true. Uh, but I'm glad now that's changing. A lot of women are, I think, from as compared to what it was like 20 years back or maybe 13 years back. Uh, now I feel more women because we are op- we talk about these issues openly. Yep. There is a greater understanding and there's an awareness. Um, and I think men too now are involved in supporting women because initially it was like, uh, you know, men were kept separate. And, you know, when you're talking about the feminist movement, it's like, oh, it's just women against men. No, it's not like that. You're obviously eliciting support from men as well because yep. it's, it's about both of them. It takes two to tango, right? So you Absolutely. really need to support from men too to, to, uh, in order to make sure all these initiatives take place. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's, that's a wonderful... So moving forward, Madeline, what exactly are your plans? You know what? I've never really made any plans. It doesn't sound very professional, does it? But, I, you know, it's, everything has kind of just happened. Um, I didn't really intend to write a book. I just was going to write my story down for me. But then next thing I knew, a book kind of appeared. I very luckily found a publisher straight away. And as soon as I first published my story, which was nearly four years ago on the Forgiveness Project's website, just a shorter version I was invited to speak, to do radio, TV interviews, to speak at schools, events, you know, conferences. And every time I do something, someone else will ask me to go elsewhere. So I just wait and see where it all goes. I don't really plan much. Oh, no, no. But I'm, I'm sure you have created quite a stir with the book. And I'm sure that book has helped thousands of people because uh, honestly, this is something so important. It's a taboo yeah. subject. I'm so glad that you shared the, your story with, with the rest of the world. Thank you. Um, 
When and I didn't realise how relevant it would be when I published it over a year ago. I had no idea that just a few months after I published it that the Me Too movement would start up again and millions would start sharing their stories. So it's been amazing timing. I mean, it's always good timing to speak about it, but it just seems to be the culture now that it's, it's just really great timing for me. Absolutely. No, I think it's, and, and, uh, and your book is available on Amazon. And what's the name of the book, if you could share with us? The... Sure, the book is called Unbroken by Madeleine Black, obviously, and you can get it on Amazon, you can buy it in Waterstones, um, yeah. Okay, and it, it, it basically shares your story and it teaches all about how to emerge from such adversities? Yeah, this was the way that I chose to do it. So people may find some parts resonate with them, some parts will help them, but, you know, they will have to find their own way. It's not... It's not a self-help book, you know, this is just how I chose to do yeah. it. But people have told me it, it gives them hope, which is what I wanted to do. Exactly. And I think learning, it's, it's not just about giving strategies and tools to people. It's about sharing your own experience, your own yeah. personalized experience, which is so important. Because when people hear that other human beings have gone through it and they hear the personal experiences, I think that does give a lot of hope that we too can recover. Absolutely. Honestly, it was such a pleasure talking to you. I oh, think thanks. you yes. are a honestly honestly fantastic you are heroic and you're definitely a female role model for for young girls out there is there anything you'd like to share um and if you're not if you won't say that particular sentence i'm going to say it because i read it in your profile and i just love that line <laughs> but anyways i will leave it to you <laughs> which line is that? <laughs> that you know i read it that it's it's not um okay where is it yeah it's not about what knocks a person down it's how they get back up Absolutely. Yeah, was, I really so saw that we had a choice and it's not really what happens to us that is important. It's what we do with what happens to us that really matters. That is so inspiring, honestly. That is, and it's not just for, um, you know, abuse victims or rape victims. Any person who's going through adversity or any person who's going through a difficult and challenging time can actually um, learn from it and get hope from it, which is that it's your impact the whole world who's going through difficult and challenging times. So I think that's the beauty of it. But thank you so much, Maddie. Is there anything you would, anything else you would like to add before you go? No, I would just reiterate what I said before to anyone listening out there, that it's never too late to find your voice. It's never too late to go and get help. And you can one day learn to really be okay with all that's happened to you. Fantastic. And, and where can they find you? Uh, they can find me in many places. My website is madlaneblack.co.uk. I'm on Twitter at madblack65, the same address for Instagram. I have a public Facebook page, Madlane Black Unbroken, and I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, perfect. So lots of ways to reach out lots to you. Lots of ways, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much, Madeline. Thank and you. Thank so you so much for having me on. R&R trains, coaches, and mentors women, empowering them to overcome personal and professional challenges and enabling them to revitalize and rise. You are now listening to R&R Sheroes, conversations with inspirational and sheroic female role models who are creating a difference. To hear these motivational conversations, subscribe to revitalizeandrise.com.